From a brilliant league win to a disappointing FA Cup defeat and a fresh injury concern. Just another week in this crazy Norwich City season. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. I'm your host, Dave Freeze. You can also hear us on Future Radio 107.8 FM. And as ever, joined by Connor Southwell and Paddy Davitt to reflect on that 1-0 defeat at Barnsley. The uh, FA Cup dream comes to an end in the fourth round. No uh, quarterfinal fun for this season. And uh, Pad, we just about survived it as well, didn't we? Uh, a little bit of ice skating in our work uh, car park once we returned. Yeah, no, it was eventful. That's no doubt about it. Yeah, um, bitterly cold up there. Uh, privileged as we, as we are to be there, of course. But uh, it was a very raw occasion in more ways than one. So... Not too unhappy to get back to Norfolk and get back to the warmth, really. And, uh, yeah, and I suppose Norwich probably feel that way as well as a group because uh, it sort of stamped through the performance that there wasn't really the intensity, certainly not comparable to Barnsley, who were far more uh, up for the cup, to use that phrase. So they yeah. progress. Good luck to them. Chelsea or Luton away. Hopefully Norwich uh, can focus back on the championship and that they're not having to deal with the collateral damage of a, a longer term injury to Jordan Hugel. So all in all, a pretty forgettable day, both whether you were a Norwich player or me and you, mate. Yes. Uh, my laptop just about survived Oakwell as well. Uh, we were in the old press box sort of because they have to spread out all the journalists out at the moment, obviously in social distancing and they, these stupid desks that it takes, you know, a, a br little bit of a sneeze or something and the desk will flip over and chuck your laptop and all the cables down with it. But thankfully, the screen didn't smash. So uh, survived that one. But it was bitterly cold up there. It really, really was. Uh, Connor, what did you uh, what did you make of it from from the warmth of inside and, and the strange uh, sort of reality of watching it on what sounds like sort of a, a red button on on BT Sport? Yeah, well, I was I was going to paint a slightly different picture. I was sat at home in my slippers with a nice cup of tea watching it. So that was that's it. <laughs> Um, a bit more enjoyable than the the harshness of the north perhaps but no there, there is a surrealness to it and it is um it is different there's no denying that but um i'm just thankful the the quality was okay in terms of the stream less said about maybe no city's performance but um but yeah it, it was it was okay i was i was in the warm so um i i can't complain and um it, it did the job for, for what i needed it to do but um yeah it would have been better with a, a, a bit of a better performance as i'm sure we'll come on to it would. But before we um, sort of really get stuck into Barnes, I just want to reflect a bit on the Bristol City game as well, which, of course, has happened since uh, we caught up with the listeners because uh, it was really a, a top performance on Wednesday evening. Uh, a couple of goals with Jordan Hugo before this uh, injury scare, which we'll have to wait and see how serious that is. Um, but pushing seven points clear at the top of the table, playing really well. Um, I, I think, Pad, for me, it, it was probably the best performance of the season so far. Yeah, well, Daniel, that's how Daniel packaged it after the game. And within that, Jakob Sorensen was the best left-back display he'd seen all season as well. So there was a lot of praise flying about from, from the head coach. Um, yeah, in terms of the control, now nah, it's, it's always hard to measure because you have to factor into the equation how good or bad the opposition were. And I didn't think Bristol offered too much, really. Uh, actually, thought, bizarrely, they were better down at Ashton Gate when they got beat. Looked fairly more comfortably in terms of the scoreline that day, but... I felt they caused Norwich more problems than they did at Carrow. I mean, the stats tell you didn't get a shot on target, so um, which underlines how dominant Norwich were. But you want to flip it around. Maybe that, that was because Norwich were so good. They were very composed, um, just got themselves into a position where, you know, they, it felt like 
it was a case of how much they would win by. But of course, when you're you're sitting on the single goal, as Norwich have done very often this season, and more often than not, got themselves over the line. But still, you can't really rest easy. So it was important. Hugo's superb glancing header. That was what he's all about, really. I think that's what we expected when he was arrived. Signed uh, from West Ham. Great ball from Campwell first half. But until really the second goal, which was a quite scruffy affair, really rebounded into his path, chested at home, point blank range. And at that point then, it was just, uh, you know, a nice easy coast to the line. But... Yeah, yeah, it does underline maybe that separating out the FA Cup chat we're going to have here that in the in the Championship they do seem to have reached a position now where I mean Dean Holden, the Bristol manager after the game, I think his quote was along the lines of "They are head and shoulders the best team in the division." Other managers have said the same. Neil Harris before he got the boot at Cardiff and they went for a, a young up and coming manager and Mick McCarthy um, that really Norwich are uh, streets ahead in the Championship and, and, and maybe that is what opponents feel when they step foot on the pitch and they see Campbell and they see Wendier and they see whether it's Hoogle or hopefully Pookie from this weekend again. Um, that there's no real chinks in that armour and uh, and I think that was probably, yeah, probably the most complete display, but I, I don't necessarily think it was the best performance. I think they've played better. I think teams that, that put it up to them a bit more and have found the way. I even, you know, I even maybe the masochist in me, I quite like that when they go to Stoke and they're, Facing adversity and they're hanging on for grim death, and, uh, and uh, yet they find a way. I, I'd probably get more out of that type of performance than I would necessarily a very controlled display against the Bristol team, who I didn't think offered much. But you can only do what you can do, and clean sheet, another two goals to the goal difference, and more importantly, another three points. And, and certainly that night at the final whistle, I think there were seven points clear of Swansea. That still remains the case as we record. Um, it looks a very healthy situation, but. You know, as Daniel himself is quick to point out, injuries, sadly, the COVID situation, which is beginning to impact on Norwich's squad availability. Um, who knows, you know, how that plays out from here. It's not done and dusted. As he says, Brentford, Swansea, both got games in hand. They win those. The gap is is a sl- slightly smaller one. Although I wasn't aware, I just had a look before, uh, before we started recording, that it is Swansea and Brentford midweek. All this right. coming midweek, which is going to be a hell of a game. Uh so obviously somebody's going to be dropping points in that occasion, unless they, you know, they both drop points and it's a draw. But I think I'll be taking a very keen interest on that game because it feels to me it's those two who Watford are having a little go for it now, and maybe if they get on a run, you put them in the conversation. But for me, in terms of the top two, they look like Norwich's main rivals for me, Swansea and Brentford. So fascinating to see how them two get on when they meet Wednesday night. I think it is. Yeah, and Grant Hanley agreed with you after the Cardiff game, didn't he? His quote was something like, sometimes these games, when you have to grind it out, it just tastes that little bit sweeter. Um, But for me, the Bristol game, I just felt like it was the most, it was the best balance we'd seen between uh, the control defensively and in midfield with the attacking punch. And I thought it was really probably the first game when we could allow ourselves to say that Campwell and Wendia are now looking like Premier League players in the Championship because I thought they were both really, really good and Kenny McLean, who we will come on to uh, in in just a minute as well, was again excellent. But Connor, that was we're going to come on to the sort of disappointment and moans and groans of the of the FA Cup. But that was an eighth win in ten league games. So as much as this weekend, it feels like a little bit of a of a setback. And um, that overall, there was really not much that Norwich fans can can be getting too worked up about, is there? 
No, there isn't. And, and teams lose football matches and that's that's the yeah. case of it, particularly when they make changes and, and you're asking players who maybe haven't played a sustained run and aren't in the rhythm and, and, and that can feel a bit disjointed. And it did yesterday, I felt. But you can't take anything away from it. And I think if, if you were to offer Norwich fans a performance like that in the FA Cup or in the Championship, then most of them would say that they'd prefer it in the FA Cup. So, um, yeah, and, and, and again, I echo what you said in terms of that Bristol City game. It, they actually came out and started quite brightly and unlike other teams, maybe um, showed a bit more ambition, but then Norwich began to get themselves in the game. And it was their quality, really, that made Bristol City look fairly average, I felt, rather than um, rather than perhaps Bristol doing that themselves. And you look at Chris Martin and, and Famara Dieju, they're the two very good strikers at this level. And for them not to record a single shot on target, I think is, is testament to the work Hanley Gibson and the defensive setup did um, as a whole. And, and I think when we speak about Norwich City and maybe the issues they have, the one thing you would throw at, in their direction as a challenge is can you reduce the amount of good quality chances you concede? And they certainly did that against Bristol City on Wednesday. If they can continue in that vein and they can solidify themselves at the back, then they are going to be unstoppable. They are going to be um, a force to be reckoned with this season. There's there's no doubt about that because that has been their Achilles heel and it has been for a couple of years, even in the title winning season when they conceded goals. Um, so it was it was good to see. And of course, we, we had that statistic with Tim Krul, didn't we, in terms of what, 550 minutes plus however long he didn't concede at Barnsley yesterday, which is which is staggering, really, and perhaps shows the strides they have taken from a defensive perspective, which is maybe where the question marks were in the Premier League. So, um, yeah, more of those performances are w- would be useful. But again, I just echo your sentiments. I think it, it shows how far above um, everyone else Norwich City are or have been so far this season. And if they can continue in that vein, then uh, we're, we're going to be looking to a very enjoyable end of the season, I think. Yeah, Krull just ticked over the 600-minute mark. So 10 hours without conceding the goal, which is pretty ridiculous, isn't it? We'll come back round to that because uh, it was his 100th appearance for Norwich as well. And, um, let's take this chronologically, really, leading into the Barnsley game because there was a lot uh, to talk about, wasn't there, Pad? You know, Norwich going into this one with 10 players unavailable, which uh, I'll list in just a second. But... Um, the sort of bigger issue now that we've got this concern about Hugel is that they called Sebastian Soto back from Telstar, didn't they? And we're now sort of waiting to see whether he gets his work permit through. And then we've had a, a link in the Sunday papers this, uh, as we record today, the Sun on Sunday saying that Swindon are, are, are very hopeful of signing Tyrese on a toy on loan. But I think that was written before he played yesterday and before Hugel's injury, wasn't it? So the striker situation is now a, 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 of real interest this week, isn't it? Well, it is, and, and it's tied to how long Jordan Hugel is going to be out. Um, and I did have a look uh, how many games Poeta missed because he had a hamstring issue. He did it in the Sheffield Wednesday game early December. He actually missed six games. So, you know, if it's anywhere comparable, then that's the length of time they're going to be without essentially their backup, main backup striker to to the GOAT, uh, Timu Puki. But that said, of course, Anamida, with a fair win, is back in full team training this week. He's had, um, well, knee issue. I think there was a broken foot in there as well by all accounts when he came back from international duty. And he's also, you know, tested uh, positive for corona and had to serve his self-isolation. So another Norwich player who's had a rather turbulent few few weeks, months. Um, but he should be back in team training, as should be Timu Puki, Daniel confirmed. After the game yesterday, that was always the plan, uh, dip him out for the last two or three games with his side strain issue, bring him back fit and firing. So, immediate term, you hope that when we get to Friday and we'll speak to Daniel, preview in Borough, that he confirms that 
Pookie and Ida, Ida are available. Um, but the question mark is, in terms of Omatoy and Soto, is how long Hugel's going to be out. He's clearly going to miss a few games. It's how long. Is it weeks? Is it months? And that depends on the severity of the hamstring. Um, and if it is the latter, then that does alter the plans because ultimately they can't leave themselves, as has been proven, you know, both Timu and Adam have been out for periods of time. There's no guarantee that won't be the case moving forward. Um, so you, you just purely from a cover and a numbers point of view, you can't leave yourself light. There's no Hugel for the foreseeable as well. So um, I think the feeling prior to the game was, as Daniel said to me on Friday, that with Soto, they need to have a look at him. He needs to have a look at him, just assess, OK, you've scored at Telstar in the second tier in Holland, but how close are you potentially probably in that competitive duel with Omatoi, which of those two is a bit closer to coming in and having an impact right here, right now. And, and the one who he deems probably isn't is the one who's going to go out on loan. Now, if that is Omatoi, then I'm sure the likes of Bristol, uh, sorry, Swindon would, and plenty of other clubs in the lower tiers would, would have a look. They've got a link to Swindon, obviously, didn't they? Jai Simi was there last season. Um, You've mentioned, I think, the, the, the Neil Adams link to John Sheridan, the Swindon manager, former teammate. So, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's probably the level of football they would be looking to place him, I think. But it's not a guarantee. Um, and obviously, the imponderable now is Hugel's injury, which, as we record, we, we don't know the severity of. So, um, yes, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all if Tyrese Omatoy ends up in a League One, League Two loan situation. But at this stage, it's it's completely conjecture and, and, until they know the extent of a Hugel's injury and b get a work permit for Soto, then have a proper look at him. So I think the reality is, where are we now? We've got about six, seven, eight days left in the window. I think you'll find that decision will be very, very late in the window. It's not going to be something that happens this week, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm, which, I'm, Omatoya comes on for Hugel, of course, and gets about 25 minutes, his best chunk of senior action so far. And, um, you know, you can see he looks uh, strong and quick and stuff, but they didn't get the ball to him too much. There was, there was one sort of agonising moment when he was away, basically, and Rupp hesitated and didn't send him through, and he really should have done, unfortunately. So um, I'm sure that teams at that level will have noticed that hat-trick against Newport in the trophy. They will be very keen to to have him if if needs be. But if it comes to it and, and you know, without being a doom merchant of course we have seen bad hamstring injuries with Norwich in the last year as well Michael McGovern had to have surgery and is out for a few months Sam Byram has had two surgeries on his hamstring hasn't he and ended up being out for the best part of a year so we'll, we'll just have to wait and see what happens with Hugo but um it, if if they do end up looking to bring someone in then if it's going to be a you know a talented Premier League kid then they've got to be an upgrade on Amatoy and Soto haven't they and and I think it's maybe being forgotten a little bit as well that Soto is actually two years older than than Omatoy, he's you know he's a full USA international. So if he can impress Daniel in training, you never know. He might just be able to force his way in. But it's going to be really interesting to to see what happens with that. Um, also though, Connor, um, we're we're kind of used to these lists now, aren't we? And and, and Mr. Davitt, of course, is used to having to squeeze all this into the press conference stories on on Fridays. But I've got the list here. Um, McGovern and Byram, as I just mentioned, they're both out. McGovern out until later in the season. Byram hoping to, to be back in training this month, but we'll see. Then we also had Zimmerman not quite back from his hip problem. Pookie, as Pad's already mentioned, still resting this side strain, although that's nothing major. I'd imagine if they needed him to play at Barnsley, they, they probably could have. Campbell then goes out with a, a hamstring niggle as well, which is sort of linked to a back problem. Stephenman still out battling this virus. McLean now in isolation because of COVID. Kintia back from his isolation at the start of the week that's now coming. We've already mentioned Ida and Yanulis isn't yet available either. So 10 players unavailable for the Barnsley game. And 
Daniel went with with five changes to the starting eleven as well. So it, it was sort of quite high stakes that he was playing with, really, try, in terms of trying to actually get progression for, from from the tie. Yeah, agreed. I was I was actually surprised he made that many changes. I was probably expecting mm. two or, or three, perhaps. I, I guess obviously his hands has has been t- turned with with Kenny McLean. Whether he would have started or not, I'm not sure. I, I actually felt they missed. Um, his energy and his forward thrust um, in, in in that particular game, but um, it, it was one of those rare occasions I felt where you just have to hold your hands up and say Norwich got beat by a team that was better than them on the day, and it wasn't just how relentless Barnsley were in the press; it was how organised they were, how well structured they were. They didn't go as individuals; they went as a collective and really strangled and suffocated the space that Norwich had to play. And it does feel increasingly like that is kind of the way to play against Norwich. That is the, the kryptonite to Daniel Farkas style, so to speak, because if you can stop it at source and win the ball high up, then the way Norwich gamble with their fullbacks, there's going to be space. So I think it, it is increasingly perplexing when, when you watch teams week in, week out at Carrow Road. And of course, you understand why they do it. Um, and I've no doubt in my mind that Middlesbrough next week under Neil Warnock are going to be exactly the same, where they look to play a low block and then it becomes a game of patience for Norwich and the reality is Norwich have too much quality for teams to, to sit in and defend for 90 minutes without sort of posing a threat on the counter so I think back to the Preston game early on um, and, and how well they pressed Norwich and they managed to get a point at Carrow Road and um, I felt Barnsley did it better than anyway it wasn't just how they did it it was how they sustained it as well I think you know, I was sort of watching the game thinking okay well there's going to be a natural drop off it's then going to be about how they respond to that and sort of barring the last 10-15 minutes where perhaps the intensity of it did drop um, they were really good and Norwich struggled to sort of play through it and they didn't have uh, well Lucas Rupp was, I felt was was very rusty and perhaps didn't play through it in the way that he had done in, in previous games this season. And then equally, they they didn't quite have the capability to play over it and find Jordan Hugel a bit more direct. And, and I know that some people sort of point out to me his first touch, maybe not being the best, but if you get people around him and, and, and he can cushion the ball in, then that would have been a way as well. Although it's not really the way Daniel Farker likes to play. So I just felt Barnsley did a, a very, very good job on a very disjointed Norwich side. And that's to be expected with the changes that he made and with those players on the fringes coming in. So I, I don't think it's a disaster by any means. In many ways, it's useful because Kieran Dow, who took up some very intelligent positions, I thought, all afternoon without maybe affecting it to the way that, that he would have wanted. Someone like that, for example, who, who maybe has kind of played in fits and starts, got a good chunk of football under their belt when ordinarily in the championship they maybe wouldn't have done because of the run, as we spoke about, eight wins in, in 10 or whatever it is in, in the championship. So um, it, it was good for that perspective. Hernandez as well. Um, obviously, Placetta could have could have took it to extra time late on and, and I felt his afternoon was just frustrating. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it was one of the rare occasions this season where you have to you have to say that Norwich were beaten by the better team. Yeah, I think they they focused too much on trying to get the ball wide to Paqueta and Hernandez to then try and supply Hugo. And because neither of them were having much success on a pretty bad pitch as well, to be fair, um, which I think did trip up um, Paqueta in particular a couple of times, it ended up meaning that Hugo just wasn't getting serviced in the way that we'd seen better in the Cardiff and Bristol City games, particularly Rancic and McLean had been using Hugo, hadn't they? They'd used him as a target main man properly. And on Saturday, he didn't really get any balls fired into his chest or his head or anything really to to try and be that focal point. So um, that side of it di- just didn't really work. But Pad overall, making those five midfield changes, uh, I mean, Daniel talked about it a bit afterwards, didn't he? That essentially he's taken a look at the bigger picture there, hasn't he? And, and, and it, he felt that it was the most important thing was to get those players a start because 
he, he's not really going to have any other opportunities to get them up and running properly for the league. 100%. He said it was the last opportunity he would have with Hernandez and Puerta and Dowell. Um, so he talks about balance, getting the balance right, and he's probably tipped it more towards when he's come to put his team news in at two o'clock on Saturday afternoon, more towards the league. Um, yes, he threw on Buendi and Skip and Vrancic, made five subs in total, uh, one for, enforced, obviously, Hugo Lomatoy, but um, you couldn't question either yesterday or his general approach to the Cups and, and that he does value the Cups highly. But I think when push comes to shove, he's, he's heard on the side of the Championship is far more important, which we all know it is. Um, and particularly Rob, we're talking about Kenny McLean. We might get into that in a bit more depth later on, but uh, Kenny McLean isn't going to be available for Middlesbrough. Lucas Rupp is the man who's going to need to slot in there alongside Ollie Skip. He hadn't played for six or seven weeks. He needed a game of football. Um, definitely needed a game on the evidence of yesterday. I mean, he's at fault. He, he, it's his loss of possession that led to the turnover that led to Barnes's goal. Um, so I'd rather see that sort of error at Oakwell on a pudding of a pitch with a place in the fifth round of the FA Cup up for grabs and three points at Cairo next Saturday against Middlesbrough. So, um, and then the two wide players, well, you know, subject to Cantwell coming back in and that just being more of a precautionary measure, then it's going to be him and Buendia from here to the end of the season in those wider of the three players behind the, the front man. Um, but the reality is um, there's going to probably be a game or two for whatever reason that are not going to be available. And if that is the case, then it's Poeta and it's Hernandez are the next two cabs off the rank. Josh Martin probably in that conversation as well. Um, and they need to have had some exposure, but I thought Arnal particularly looked very rusty. Uh, and and he, why wouldn't he? You know, it's two, three months since he's had the adductor problem, the surgery. Um, he's quite an athletic, explosive type of player anyway. That's his natural game. And, and he's a sort of player who probably does need games to get up to speed. I don't think he's necessarily somebody who could come back in after a layoff and, and almost pick up where they left off. So um, I, th- I thought there was enough positive signs from Dowell. I, I thought the best moves that Norwich put together, it was Dowell at the hub of it. It was Dowell's step over that created that. Chance for Poeta to smack the inside of the bar. Excellent awareness of his position on the pitch. It was also his reverse ball that put Poeta in later when he possibly could have shot, but decided to square it to Buendia. Uh, and even in the first half, talking about it, they didn't really get a lot of balls into wide areas, but there was an air kick from Aaron's, which he triggered the move, but it was basically a back heel from Dow. Just a very intelligent uh, player, very technically good player. And I think... For me, of those three or four who needed minutes, he's the one who's pushed himself forward and is now a viable alternative to Mario Brancic, I think, for the league games ahead. And uh, if that is the, is if that is something positive that comes out of a cup defeat, then I think Daniel would take it because it's all about down the stretch, knowing you can dip into your reserves and if you haven't got Buendia or Cantwell, heaven forbid, available, that you can maybe bring an option in and that they're, they're a bit nearer to go than they would have been if they hadn't had an outing in the FA Cup. So... For me personally, I think it was the right call. I, I think those lads needed to play. And as Daniel himself said, you know, look at the back four. That's their championship back four. Uh, they had Hugo up top and they had more than enough quality in and around that. So there was enough decent players on that pitch for Norwich to have got past Barnsley. As Connor's rightly said, Barnsley were better on the day. So that's what it is. You dust yourself down, you move on. But uh, by no means did he jack off the FA Cup by making five changes. I think he's basically tried to balance the two. and. Ultimately, it hasn't paid off. It paid off in the third round. He made seven changes. They dispatched Coventry with ease. Didn't quite work yesterday. So, you know, you, you move on. But uh, ultimately, 
for me, he, he got it right with his team selection. Heaven forbid, I've written about it. Um, it'll be in papers tomorrow. But, you know, Hugel's gone over and he may be out for a period of time and that's bad enough. But at least you hope Team Mpuki steps in. Can you imagine if that had been Emi Buendia who'd gone over and done his hamstring yesterday? What would Norwich fans have been saying then? They'd have been saying, ridiculous. Why on earth was he playing in a, in a meaningless, essentially in a bigger picture? Because Norwich aren't going to win the FA Cup, let's be honest. Uh, with with the championship at stake and all, all that financially is involved in that. So, you know, I was a little bit concerned when I did see him and skip stripping off, to be honest. But that, to me, underlines that Daniel was serious about progressing. If not, he'd have kept him under wraps, kept him on the bench, throwing Bali Mumba on or, you know, on a toy or on my Bamba Daily. Um, so, yeah, for me, you can't really direct any flack in his direction. He's done what he felt was the right balance, didn't work, mainly probably because of Barnes's approach and, and how committed they were to, to the occasion. And, uh, as I say, it's all about moving forward. And the, the main thing is now three points next Saturday against Middlesbrough. I don't think too many people will be then talking about Barnsley. And there's no denying that they were trying to get back into the game as well. The, the noise you could hear in the stadium, Krull, Hanley, Gibson, they were really trying to push them forward to, to chase an equaliser. And, um, you know, there were those two big chances, Paqueta and um, and Buendia in the second half. Um, being knocked out means there's now no midweek game between the Swansea uh, away game sorry, and Stoke home game. So they've got a, a midweek rest they can uh, look forward to in February. Um, but overall, I should probably plug as well at pinkin.com and in the papers. Um, I, I tweaked our player watch slightly this weekend. Rather than looking at one player, I had a look at these players we're talking about at the moment, the, the sort of fit again players who were uh, doing their best. Um, Poeta Connor, he um, has had a bit of a weird one because he, he did quite well against Coventry, didn't he? Certainly the first 15 minutes, he was a big part in the, the two goals. But then I thought he looked very rusty from there. And he, he's had a bit of a difficult time, but, you know, he won his two Poland caps. And then, as Pad said earlier, he was out with the hamstring st- uh, strain. Um, but there was one particularly funny moment in the first half where he went to clear the ball after Norwich had cleared their lines and just managed to hoof it up in the air and out for a corner. It went back about 25, 30 yards, and, and Farker wasn't too far in front of us, and he just turned around and unleashed a sort of tirade of German swearing because he just couldn't believe the sort of... It was quite an immature moment from a player who is, you know, 22 and a Poland international. He, you expect better than that from him. But what did you think of his performance overall? Because he was he was so close to being sort of the star of the show. You know, if that shot is just what? three or four inches lower he scores a really good goal yeah I think that kind of sums him up since he since he signed to be fair so yeah. close particularly before his sort of hamstring injury it felt like he'd, he'd made some steps forward in terms of maybe the technical side of his game because look the pace isn't an issue and um, he, he used it to his advantage but at times there's decision making there was one moment in the second half um, where he just waited a split second to pull a cross back and it was that moment of hesitation that, that just meant it didn't quite come off and there's still a rawness there and I think that's that's evident to everyone and um, clearly there's still some work to do as well in terms of how he takes the ball in tight spaces and his technical awareness and sometimes his positional awareness as well but clearly there's potential there and and, and as you say on another day we'd be talking about a placetta double and a, what a brilliant performance it was from him and how this could have been a, a great sort of step maybe to, to stake in his claim for the championship side. So it's difficult and, and sort of games are made on such moments. And and yeah, it just didn't quite fall for him yesterday. 
again, I, I think the injury has kind of hampered him because we were beginning to see that progression. And for me now, this is where we need to see the second half of the season signs that he is improving and that he is adapting to English football in the same way that Onel Hernandez did in, in that six-month window when he signed, um, when, when he was quite raw. We need to see that progression and that step forward now, I think, because um, if not, then you just fear that there may be too many options that overtake him, particularly if Norwich get promoted. So um, still work to do. Incredible potential there. I think that's that's evident. It's it's just the frustration and, and the rawness that needs to be worked on. But look, he was playing in Poland last year, so I think that was always going to be expected to an extent. Um, I just wonder as well if there's a... Um, a need for him to to sort of beef up a little bit, so to speak, to to lift some weight and whatnot. Um, not that I'm the person to be speaking about that, but <laughs> I don't know if that will if that will um, help him potentially in terms of build and and adjust to the physicality of the championship. But um, there's certainly ability there. It's just about extracting it on a consistent basis in this Norwich team that perhaps plays slightly different to maybe the way he would naturally play. So, um, yeah, work to do in terms of Placetta. But as you say, some encouraging signs, even though it was a frustrating afternoon. Yeah, he must have played on some bad pitches and, and some artificial pitches and stuff in Poland as well. So um, you'd have thought he's maybe one who could have adjusted quite well. But um, there we go. Um, I mean, looking at the stats, um, Norwich had 71% of possession, uh, only one shot on target. Barnsley had 10 shots on target. So, Pad, let, let's talk about Tim Krull. Is is 100th appearance. And as I said earlier, over 10 hours without conceding a goal. I mean, we'll have to readjust that stat for the league now, won't we, so that we can keep it rolling, hopefully, um, against Middlesbrough. But Daniel said lots of nice things about him um, ahead of the game on, on Friday, didn't he? And Tim, in his post-match interview, sort of said that he is still feeling the effects of COVID a bit. He, he said it was a, a horrible virus. It really had knocked him for six. And... He's, he's not quite there yet. So after the Bristol City game, it, he didn't have a lot to do. And he he wanted to play again, didn't he? He wanted to get more into his rhythm. And and this game, at the very least, has, has helped him to do that because he was excellent, wasn't he? Yeah, apparently there's that stat kicking about. It's the most saves he's done in all of the previous 99 games in a 90-minute in a spell for Norwich. So very surprised at that. But I wouldn't say it was particular. wasn't particularly uh, the eye catch in some of the Premier League games when he was he was like the cat. But uh, I mean, it was a great stop from Connor Chaplin late on. Uh, he just clawed out, heading towards the top corner. One or two other decent stops, but um, he just. But he did underline for me, you know, what he has given in the intervening period, which is just for a free agent, ridiculously good value on and off the pitch. Daniel, as you say, talked about his influence almost in a mentoring role, uh, you know, the two years ago, defence of Aaron's, Lewis, Godfrey, whatever they go on to do in their careers, um, they will owe Tim Krull because he guided them along the path that season. And, uh, you know, you're probably seeing that now a little bit with with young Daniel Barden, his understudy, what a great person to be learning from day in, day out. Um, and it's still, as Tim himself said, I think after the game yesterday, there's still, he hopes, another 100 games in him. Uh it's worth, worth remembering that he more or less lost 18 months of his career with the knee ligament problems that he did on, on international duty for, for Holland. Um, that more or less ended his Newcastle career. Rafa Benitez at the time then decided that maybe he'd passed his best. Went into the wilderness a little bit, a few loan spells. Then he ended up as a number two at Brian, wasn't playing. Um, but my word, as he come back uh, to, to the keeper, he probably was, was pre-injury and... Uh, Great testament to him, and, and Daniel spoke in glowing terms about about what a what a perfect marriage it's been, and and of course will continue now because he's he's signed a new deal not all that long ago. So um, not 
not a, a, a landmark game he'll remember probably too fondly in terms of the result. But uh, I think, again, he did underline with, with the shift he put in. I thought he was probably Norwich's best player on the day. Um, you know, what an important player he is and will continue to be for this club for certainly in the next season or two. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pub debate when we're allowed back in the public houses. But who is Norwich's best free transfer? Him or Timu Puki? I don't know. I think I'd probably uh, on the side of uh, Tim Krul at the minute. Yeah, it wasn't bad business in the summer of 2018, was it? <laughs> when uh, you think that that's when they got Emi Buendia as well. Um, I, I think my pick of his saves was probably the very first one, right in the fourth minute from Woodrow, because he really connected with that shot and it, and it dipped and swerved as well. And that he just had to sort of stick out a leg at the last second to just slice it behind his post. I thought that was a real good reaction save, but he he was top draw. He really was. And um, he, he's been a great servant to, for Norwich already and, and long may it continue. So let's let's throw it forward, Connor. Let's get back into league mode. Next Saturday, lunchtime kickoff, half 12, I think it is, isn't it, against Middlesbrough on Sky. We know that's going to be a difficult game. We've seen it already with the, the away match when Norwich only won 1-0. Played pretty well that night, but, you know, a, a difficult match. It, it, you're always going to get them against a, a Neil Warnock team, but... You know, overall, still for for the moans and groans of this weekend, they've won nine of their last twelve matches. So, and barring any problems with injuries and stuff, we pretty much know what the team's going to be as well. So, I think everyone can once they've sort of shake, shaken this off and, and forgotten about the FA Cup, everyone will, will be looking forward to getting back on it because there's now the, the path is clear, isn't it? They they are in a fantastic position. There's 21 games to go. If they can continue anywhere near the sort of progress rate they've had recently, then they are you know with a very very good chance of automatic promotion. Yeah, and in, in many ways, the hard bit is done. Sort of the bit prior to Christmas where it's a bit of a slog and you can't really see the end in sight. That's that's a tough bit to get the form going. Now, now as you say, there is a pathway to, to the Premier League. It's almost appearing in the horizon again. It's just about focusing minds and ensuring that the mentality is right. And what a test of mentality this is going to be on Saturday against, as you say, a Neil Warnock side. It's going to be a clash of styles. They're going to have to be prepared physically. Um, and, and, and you know what you're going to get from... Um, from a Warnock side, which they're going to be hard working, they're going to be physical, they're going to be hard to beat. Um, and it's going to be about Norwich, I think, again, showing their patience. And it's going to be a bit like a chess match, I think, in many regards. And Norwich are going to have to um, are going to have to displace them and, and find pockets of space and, and capitalise on, on mistakes in key moments, which they've been very good at in recent weeks. And um, if, if that's the case, then I think you'd favour Norwich, as, as I said at the top of the show, because teams that do come and play with that low block, I think are almost playing into Norwich's hands with Buendia and Campwell because you must allow them to pick up pockets of space and whether Middlesbrough will be good enough for def to defend for 90 minutes or not, we'll see. And obviously set pieces um, defensively are going to be a, a key topic as well. So um, if, if they can get a win, as Paddy said, then no one's going to reflect on, on Barnsley at all. It, it will be about the league and about the momentum and there's some big games coming up on the horizon. And, and as I said last week on last week's show, it kind of feels like this next five games, starting with Middlesbrough, are quite big. They've got Swansea in there as well. Um, so it does feel like if there was going to be a dip in results almost, it would come in the next few weeks. If they can ride that out and they're still in a healthy position at the top of the table, then almost certainly what, what we're saying about the um, the run to the Premier League, I think, is, is going to be considerably easier. And it does feel now like they're beginning to... Um, be like the, the Newcastle side of a couple of years ago that are beginning to pull away and beginning to just show that they're in a little bit of a league of their own in terms of quality. And um, games like this will help them define that even more. A, a playoff chasing side with an experienced manager at this level. Um, and, and equally, it's going to be, I think, a, a, 
I'll say an interesting experience to listen to Neil Warnock behind closed doors and uh, and and his language. Having listened to, it, having watched a few documentaries about him in the past, so um, so yeah, I, I think if if fans were there and behind closed doors, if that makes sense, there'd probably be a good drinking game for for Neil Warnock swearing. But um, but yeah, it's it's going to be tough. Hopefully they can come through it. I think it's a game that almost suits them, providing they can defend at set pieces. Maybe very similar to the games against Cardiff they've had in recent weeks. He's mellowed now, isn't he? He's cuddly Uncle Neil. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think we've quite often said, haven't we, that we, you know, Warnock has always spoken very highly of Norwich and of, of Delia and things. And I think he always had hoped that he could one day get a shot at the Norwich job. But the way things have worked out, particularly in recent years, it's just moved so far away from them, hasn't it? While you were talking, I just reminded myself of it. But um, Norwich are their bogey team quite um, majorly, aren't they? Middlesbrough haven't scored in the last six games against Norwich, which goes back to the playoff game. Um, and Norwich have won the last five one nil. <laughs> so um, they they are going to be desperate to, to get one over Norwich. But I've got a feeling that this FA Cup weekend and how things worked out, as well as having a full week to prepare for this, no midweek game, I think Norwich are going to have quite a bit of fuel added to the fire for this one. And I I really want to going to want to lay down a marker ahead of, um, you know, a tough week to follow Millwall and Swansea away. That Swansea game, of course, is going to be a a massive one. I I think they are going to be bang up for this one. Uh, In terms of selection, Pad, um, I think we're probably expecting Yanulis' work permit to be um, confirmed this week, hopefully, aren't we, ahead of that game. Sorensen typically uh, was brilliant on Wednesday, wasn't he? And then reasonably poor yesterday, which made my column uh, on Saturday morning look a bit silly. Uh, so thanks for that, Jacob. But <laughs> um, but he was excellent in the league game, which is the one that, that mattered. But in terms of changes, do you think there's any chance we'll see Yanulis come straight in, given that he has been playing football recently? And, and equally, as you said earlier, McLean isn't going to be available as, as far as we know at the moment. Um Lucas Rupp has probably got to come in, hasn't he? I think, yeah, nailed on. Yeah. Um, it's a tempting one with your new list. I mean, if he's talking Tuesday, potentially they get the green light. So from Tuesday onwards, he can train with his new teammates. Um, I don't know where Daniel goes with his mindset with that, where he wants to basically you know, almost be a bit more conservative and, and stick with Jacob. Obviously, Chavi should be available. He should be out of self-isolation um, early part of the week. Now, of course, that's that's one thing in terms of the legalities around uh, the di- diagnosis and, and the, the way you have to isolate. But as Tim Krull proved, he wasn't ready to go back into the championship combat immediately after. Um, so it's probably, I think at this stage, probably unrealistic to put Chavi Coutinho in the mix. So it is literally, do you go Sorensen or do you go Yanoulis? And I don't know. It's a hard one at this stage. I think... I think he might just err on the side of Sorensen. I think he 100% he subject to the work permit. He will definitely be in the 18 uh, come next Saturday. And, and then you can probably introduce him, hopefully, if things are going well, even better, rather I'm than needing to. <laughs> yeah. It's the den. Well, no fans. He'd be all right. It'd just be another, <laughs> yeah, another yeah. normal game for him, won't it? But uh, to be fair, I think there's some tasty games in Greece, mate. Some of those fans <laughs> yeah. can be... Uh, Quite volatile, shall we say? So, um, other than that, no. I mean, we'll assume Timu's available, so he comes in for Hugo Buendia. We assume Campbell, so they'll come back in. Um, the back four will be, apart from the left back situation as it was yesterday. Uh, Skip comes back in, obviously no brainer for Tete. So, really, I think it probably just is 
the left back situation, yeah, in terms of how he changes it up. And yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, now we're talking about it, I'm now beginning to think, well, maybe he might go because I mean, clearly they think this guy is a little bit special. Uh, he's been bought with a view to being their left back in the Premier League. That's how highly he's rated. Clearly, um, you know, you don't don't come through the club. He's come through. He's won the cup and the league in Greece, reasonably competitive league. He's played in the UEFA Champions League qualifiers this season and the Europa League group stages. He's got eleven caps for Greece. So maybe Daniel might think, well, you know, subject to. I think the key to his involvement Saturday is how many training sessions he gets in this week, and that's obviously dependent entirely on the work permit application. If they can get him in nice and early in the week, then he becomes more of a viable starting eleven option. But I think at this stage, you probably have to think he'll stick with Sorensen with Janulis on the bench. And then, I mean, you referenced the there, Millwall and Swansea. Again, I'm not sure, you know, you want to be throwing him into not so much the Millwall game with no fans, but Swansea, which is looking like a bit of a promotion shootout. Whether that would be the first game you'd want to uh, expose him to, I probably think not. So he's got an interesting dilemma with that man over the next sort of week, 10 days. But there's no doubt the guy's pedigree tells you he, he looks like a cut above what's in the championship at left back. So, yeah, it's just a case of how quickly he adapts and acclimatises. By all accounts, he's a very good lad. Speaks good English, I've been told as well. So there's no communication barrier. Um so maybe, you know, if all, if all the cards fall correctly, uh, we will see him against Middlesbrough. But I, I think at this stage, me personally, I think you stick with Sorensen, even though he didn't have his best game yesterday, but he wasn't alone in that, was he? Yeah, that was kind of the point in my column, wasn't it? That um, Sorensen has been good defensively on the whole. He's He's been able to put his foot in and, uh, you know, we know that Kintia is decent going forward. We know he can cross a ball. And from what we see of Yanulis, he's good going forward as well. But for, for either of them to come into a defence, which has been so good to get Norwich into this position, they have also got to show that they can sort of match that, those levels with Sorensen. Um, so just finally then, Connor, what, what would you do? Because there are some options there, aren't there? You, you could, um, if you played Yanulis or Kintia at left back, you could move Sorensen alongside Skip. Or you could drop Vrancic back alongside Skip and bring Dowell in between Campwell and Buendia. There are there are a few options there. So if I, if I put you in Mr. Farker's shoes to close the pod, what, what would you be doing? I think you'll start your new list, actually. Um, I, I think for, for the reasons Paddy kind of mapped out at the end there in terms of the pedigree and the quality, I kind of felt it, it would work quite naturally, actually, because I think if, if you're going from the Bristol City game into the Middlesbrough game on the back of Sorensen's performance, then I think it, it would have been incredibly harsh to drop him. But I think given that FA Cup display, given how highly rated they they, they feel he is, if, if he can come in, as, as we said on Tuesday, get four training sessions under his belt, having been playing regularly in Greece, and I think um, unlike maybe some of the, the signings in the past, I think he'd be, he'd be ready. So I, I can see him being thrown in. Um, yeah, and in terms of the midfield mix, I can see Vrancic dropping back into a deeper role. You would imagine this is going to be one of those games where Norwich are going to enjoy a bit more of the possession um, and it, it's going to fall to them to break down a, a very sturdy Middlesbrough side. So I think you'd want him in a deeper role alongside Skip with then probably Kieran Dowell in the 10. That that would be how I see it, although I can see him being um, bringing Rupp alongside Skip as well. I think that is um, that is just as... Um, uh, I think that's just as... as um, viable really and then Vrancic in the 10 were down on the bench so it is going to be it is going to be tough because unlike perhaps previous games where Norwich are going to have lots of possession they're also going to need to make sure they're physically robust in midfield as well and maybe Vrancic and, and Dow wouldn't do that so maybe Dow in the 10 and and Lucas were up in the middle um, 
with yeah with Yanulis at left back for me, and I think Sorensen probably on the bench as a as a midfield option. That's kind of how I can see him going. But uh, again, it kind of hinges on when they can get the work permit and um, and how ready or, or how Lucas Rupp responds to to the game of football that he had on Saturday because it's been a while since he played. Yeah, it'd be great to be a fly on the wall at Colney, wouldn't it? Or, or on the goalpost, at least outside, <laughs> to see how training goes this week, because there is going to be some real competition, isn't there? And, you know, I, I would be intrigued to say to see you know the start. I think Rupp in midfield is going to be so tempting, given how well he was playing before he got injured. You know, he'd really been winning over his doubters, hadn't he? He'd been sort of um, talked about as being one of the best players. And then McLean has really taken his opportunity because he's seen how well Rupp has played. And, and as we spoke about a little bit in the pod last week, I think Vrancic has just been going a little bit under the radar a little bit, but has been consistently playing pretty well. So I'd be surprised to see Mario uh, dropping out of the team at all. And I think it, that that's probably the most likely with, with Dow getting a good 30 minutes. But as I say, it'll be interesting to see how things go in training this week. Right, that'll do for the pod. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, chaps, for, for your views on the game. Just a, a little bit of uh, a plug to remind you that the uh, second edition of the official Norwich City sticker book of is, is, of course, out there. And um, you can buy the uh, stickers online at pinkandshop.co.uk if you don't want to be venturing out to the shops or anything at the moment to, to try and uh, fill your sticker book. Uh, but from here on in, it's the promotion race. No other cup distractions. Let's hope for the injuries just to calm down a little bit. But we've got a potentially very exciting few months ahead. Thanks for listening and stay safe. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant.